You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. If you all would, go ahead and make it back to your seats. We're going to continue on with today's service. If you guys would, go ahead and make it back to your seats. Um, For those of you who do not know me, who may be new, uh, my name is Julius, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the village, and thankful that each and every one of you are here, and we just want to extend another hand of welcome to each and every one of you. Um, And so we're going to continue on with today's service, but I'm going to invite up Sheba. She's going to be reading our scripture for the day. It comes from Romans 1, 1 to 17. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, church. Uh, Today's scripture portion is taken from Romans chapter 1, uh, reading from verses 1 to 17. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and priests from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In fact, who are in the village. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For it in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thank you. Yeah. 
Give her a clap. Thank you so much, Sheba. Um, So we're going to continue on, but before we get started with the sermon, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're just so thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. That we get to worship you and commune with you and learn more about you. And I pray that as we continue on with the service, that we would just catch a glimpse of your grace. Catch a glimpse of how you have sent your son in order to not only die on the cross for our sins, but literally change our lives for eternity. And so, Father, I just pray, would you enable us just to dive deeper into your waters of faithfulness? knowing that you are a God who continues to help us to see more of who you are and also to better understand who we are as well. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable in your sight? That we would just walk away wanting to know more of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray this in your most glorious name. Amen. So for those who may not be aware, over the summer we've been going through a sermon series called Formed. We've been taking different aspects of the Christian faith and talking about how they help us to become more mature Christians. Help us to better understand how to express ourselves with our newfound faith. And so Pastor Dan last week ended that sermon series, and so again, for those who may not be aware, we're going through a new sermon series and going through the book of Romans, going through Romans. And so we'll be in Romans for a while, but one of the things I do want to acknowledge is that Romans is a pretty dense book. There's a lot going on in Romans. This is Paul writing to a community in Rome, predominantly Gentiles, but some Jews sprinkled in there, and they're asking him really tough questions questions about how to now live out their newfound faith. They're trying to understand, like, what does it mean practically for us to now be Christians? And so they send a letter to Paul while he's in jail, and the product is Romans, that he sends them a letter back. And he's covering a lot of different things, and he's trying to help them to understand how do we now live in light of Christ changing our lives. But Even as great as that is, even as it is considered Paul's magnum opus, we do want to acknowledge it's dense. There's a lot going on. He's trying to cover a lot. I love how one scholar, N.T. Wright, puts it. He says, Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome is his masterpiece. It covers many different topics from many different angles, bringing them all together into a fast-moving and compelling line of thought. Reading it sometimes feels like being swept along in a small boat on a swirling, bubbling river. We need to hold on tight if we're going to stay on. So, don't want to scare you, you know, but just want to acknowledge there's a lot going on in Romans. So as we're going through this book, just know, and I want to point out a couple of things, just know that it can be hard to read Romans a lot of times. And so I want to point out two things really quick before we actually dive into the sermon. One thing to note is as we are going through the book of Romans, as we are preaching through this, 
we won't be able to cover everything. Like, you may be looking through the text and say, oh, I have a particular question about this thing, or I have a particular question that's been aching me about this particular verse, and I want to say, hey, ask that question to me, ask that question to Pastor Dan, ask that question to anybody in our church, but sometimes we just won't be able to cover it because we just don't have enough time, just being honest. I got 30, 35 minutes tops, and then they cut me off. If I go any longer, I don't know what's going to happen. And so I just want to acknowledge there are a lot of times where we may not cover that pressing question, but I would say, hey, dialogue with people, talk to people that after service, really ask people, okay, he didn't cover this. Why was that? And I promise I'm not being negligent. It just didn't fit within the flow of the sermon. And so just be knowing that not only for this sermon, but for future sermons as well. And then number two, and this is kind of the primary point setting the foundation for the entire book of Romans. Paul's primary goal, Paul's primary point is to point us to a powerful God. His main goal is to point us to a very powerful God. And so all throughout Romans, he is covering a lot of things. He's talking about the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about how to interact in politics. He's talking about what does it mean that God is sovereign. There is a lot going on in the book of Romans. But we'll be reminisced if we miss the main point. That everything that he is talking about, that everything that he is trying to explain is pointing us to the fact that God is an all-powerful God. And he uses that power for our benefit. He uses that power in order to help us to know more of himself and to know that we are free when we become part of his family, part of his kingdom. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start and we're going to have two main points. And the first point is the power to save. God's power to save. We see this in verses 1 to 15. Now I do want to say, and this is a little confession about me, I'm not the best reader, just in general. I got ADHD, and so it takes a lot for your boy to focus. I really have to plan out when I'm going to read, and I want to get straight to the meat of what I, of what I really want to read in a particular book. And so a lot of times, if a book has an introduction, it's clearly outlined, this is the introduction. For Julius, I skip that. I'm gone. I'm not focusing on that. Because to me, a lot of times, it's fluff. And for those college students who are here, don't listen to me. I was not a a good student. So just being clear, don't listen to me. Read that introduction. But for your boy, I'm speeding past it. Because I feel like it's a lot of fluff, and I want to just get to the meat. I want to get to the main content of what's going on. But with Paul, we can't do that. Paul's introduction is really, really important. If we just speed past Paul's introduction and, you know, count it up to fluff, then we'll be missing a lot of what Paul is trying to help us to understand. So particularly in verses 1 to 7, this is his salutation. This is his introduction to the entire book. And Paul not only talks about his name and says, this is me, Paul, but he also gives two qualifications of who he is. One, that he's a servant And number two, that he is an apostle. One, that he is a servant in verse one. And number two, that he is apostle. That's also in verse one. And this is a big deal. This is nothing that we should speed past. We shouldn't just count this up to fluff. Paul's saying that he is a servant of God, that he is an apostle sent out by God is a huge deal because 
Paul is communicating, he's expressing that everything he is, that everything he has, that everything that he has become is because of one thing, that God has saved him. We see this in verses 3 to 4. Verse 3, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh, verse 4, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul even saying that Jesus Christ is his Lord, that he is a servant and that this is his master is a big deal. That Paul saying that he has specifically been sent out as an apostle, as a messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles is a huge deal because Paul wasn't always Paul. He used to be called Saul. Now I won't go through every aspect of his testimony. I would encourage you just to look at Acts 9 and actually get the full scope of how Paul came to faith. But I will say this, Paul back in the day when he was Saul, he had a rep. People knew Paul for one thing, someone who wasn't on speaking terms with Jesus Christ. Him and Jesus had beef. He was a Jesus denier, so much so that he would persecute Christians. He would kill Christians who believed that Jesus Christ was his savior. He really believed that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus was a lunatic. How could you believe that this Jesus is the one, the Messiah, the Lord that was predicted in the Old Testament? You think this guy is the one who is coming to save you? No, that can't be true. And so he would go around from town to town telling people and saying that I will kill you if you do not recant. And then all of a sudden, Acts 9 happens. Paul is on the Damascus road and he experiences, he meets Jesus. Jesus meets him exactly where he is at. So this Jesus denier is transformed and now becomes someone who wants to help people know more of Jesus. He literally does a complete 180 in his life. And I don't know about you, but that's shocking to hear. It's jarring. And and a lot of times for me, I've had friends who have gone through similar experiences, maybe not spiritually, but just different aspects of their life, where they were known for this one particular thing, that they did this thing or they had this thing, and then all of a sudden they give it up and they become a brand new person. I've seen people switch from particular theological convictions. I've seen people switch from particular uh, political parties. I've seen people, you know, they were once in the Android company and now they're with iPhone. It's just everything changes. And as you are meeting with them, as you are talking with them, you see they're kind of a brand new person. doesn't matter how small, how big the change is. They become someone brand new. And now you're having to reintroduce yourself to them. You're having to learn them because there's now a new normal. And now think about it this way. If you were a Christian during Paul's time and you knew him as Saul, and usually when you see Paul coming down the road, you say to yourself, oh, snap, I'm a Christian. I need to run. I need to go the other way. But now you see Paul in the corner. Now you see Paul on the block, and he is preaching that people need to trust in Jesus Christ rather than saying that, you should be denying Jesus Christ. If you're that Christian, you're saying like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Paul? Wait, 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 no, this dude, this is Saul. Like, this is Saul. This is not the person who should be saying that Jesus is my savior, that Jesus has transformed my life. No, this guy is supposed to want to kill me. This guy is supposed to want me to recant that I will believe in this Jesus. And now all of a sudden he is saying that Jesus is his Lord and his savior, and that he has been sent out to proclaim the gospel. 
it would be unthinkable. It would be unimaginable. It would be whiplash because you're wondering who is this new person. And that's why, that's what Paul is really communicating with his testimony here. He's helping people to understand that he is a brand new person. He is a brand new creation. The person who once said, I'm going to go kill Christians, is now about helping people to know more of Jesus Christ. And that's how powerful God is. God is so powerful that he takes someone who wanted nothing to do with him and makes them into someone brand new who wants everything to do with them. We see this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Paul is communicating that him being an apostle, him being a servant, that Jesus being his Lord and master of his life is so transformative that he was once a Jesus denier and now he is someone who wants every single solitary person who he meets to know more of Christ. And we see this all throughout the rest of the chapter that he is giving us little hints into Jesus transforming his life, like verses 1 to 4. He is declaring that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. Verse 8, he is rejoicing in the fact that these Romans have come to faith. And then 9 and 10, he mentions that he wants them to continue to grow. So in every single solitary prayer, and every time that he thinks for them, he is saying to God, please help them to continue in the faith. And then verses 13 and 14, he is saying, I'm an apostle. In Acts, he was declared to be the apostle, the messenger who will be sent out in order to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He is communicating that God has transformed his life in a huge and powerful way. And he also wants the Romans and even us to understand that if you think that you are too far away from God, if you think that God wants nothing to do with you, if you think that in any circumstance in your life that God doesn't love you, Paul's testimony, Paul's story proves that's just not the case. You're not too far away from God. God is so powerful that it doesn't matter what obstacles, that it doesn't matter what opposition you may have towards Jesus Christ, that he is so powerful that he is going to knock down those barriers and he wants you to experience freedom in him. So you are not too far away from God. For God to transform you, for God to use you. If he can use Paul, he can use any of us. And I think about my own story. That I grew up in the church and I felt like I was a Christian. And I went to this beach project with a campus ministry called Campus Outreach. And I don't know the day, I don't know the moment, I don't know the specific hour, but I remember the sermon that was being preached. It was by this guy named Jake McCown, and he was talking about sin. Like, literally, he was talking about Genesis 3, and the whole sermon was about sin. That's a sermon that you should come to faith through, right? And so he was talking about how Adam and Eve had fig leaves that were covering them when they realized that they were naked, and that these fig leaves represented different aspects of our sin. And that God, when we come to understanding that we need Jesus Christ, that he starts to remove those fig leaves from our lives. 
And as he was talking about these fig leaves, he was, you know, putting different aspects of people's idols on each fig leaf that he was removing. And so over and over again, he started to name the different sins, name the different struggles that people have, and he started naming things that were specific to me. And this is just as a word, as pastors or as someone who is teaching, we don't know what's going on in in your lives. We promise we're not saying anything against you. We're just kind of throwing things out in in the air and hoping that it sticks. So as he was going down the line, he was talking about people, how they idolize sports. And I was like, man, that really affects me. I'm in college basketball. He was talking about people idolize acceptance and wanting to please people. I was like, man, he's going two for two right now. Then he says, people idolize lust. And I was thinking, yo, three for three, this is not a mistake. I don't know who told him my life, but man, you know me really well. And in that moment, I, I was thinking, yo, God is trying to say something. That for so long, I thought that my good deeds would be able to help me to get in. I'll be able to slide through into heaven, you know? And he was helping me to realize that I actually needed something outside of myself. I actually needed something outside of myself that could actually pay the price for my sins. And that was Jesus. And so I think it's vitally important that we remind ourselves of that first experience when we realized we needed Jesus. That we consistently remind ourselves of our testimony because it helps us to remember that in the tough times, in the moments of doubt, that our faith is real. You did have that experience. You did have that moment of clarity when you realized that you needed God. And it also reminds you that you're not too far away from God. That in your moments of doubt, that in your moments of deep sin, God is still there. God is still present. He hasn't left. He hasn't forsaken you. And he wants you to know that he is still there walking with you in your moments of doubt. He is there. Being reminded of our experience with God, that first time experience helps us in the midst of our doubts. But also... It's an opportunity for evangelism. Being able to tell people about how God has transformed your life, that's powerful. Like when I read Acts 9 and the way that God met Paul on the Damascus Road when he was a Jesus denier, it's such a powerful story. And every single solitary person's testimony is a powerful story. It's a miracle that anyone comes to Christ. It is a miracle And to say anything other than that is a lie. It is a miracle that anybody comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so remembering our testimony, remembering that first experience helps us to be able to share the gospel with people and to testify that God is powerful, that he took me, someone like me, and transformed my life and helped me to become someone other than what I used to be in the past. I am now a new creation because of the power of God. That God's power is so powerful that he can save anyone. And that is a remarkable thing. It's a miracle that that happens to anybody. I do want to say for those in this room who may not have a testimony, who may be struggling with trusting in God, I would, you know, challenge you and to ask yourself this question. What is keeping you from trusting in God? 
What is keeping you from knowing more of this God? What opposition, what questions, what doubts do you have about this God who has said that he is there and he wants you to know more of himself? He wants you to experience that need for Jesus Christ and also to have that freedom in Christ. In what ways are you distrusting? What things are preventing you from knowing more of God? Paul's in our testimonies remind us that we consistently need God. That we consistently need to be reminded that God's power is there and it helps us and it saves us from our sins. But all of this, verses 1 to 15, is getting us ready for verses 16 and 17. It's helping us to really understand Paul's main point. That God's power to save is evidence that we can continue to trust God, to know that God is a faithful God. And this brings us to our second point, the power of faith or the power of God's faithfulness, verses 16 and 17. Let me read these out. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So everything that we have touched on so far kind of brings us to verses 16 and 17. And if you know anything about verse 16, I consider this to be similar to like a good song that's been played on the radio way too much. Like, you enjoy it and you like it, but you're like, yo, we can, you know, promote other songs. Because a lot of times, verse 16, I feel like is one of the most quoted verses in Christian history, or at least in recent Christian history. It's become a rallying cry for being able to share the gospel boldly, no matter the circumstance. That you share the gospel no matter what. And I think at times it's been used as justification to share the gospel and not care about the person's feelings or even care if they're a human being. They're just something in order for you to download information onto. And so I think we've focused so much on verse 16 and not rightfully so in some respects. I understand why it's a rallying cry. Like the first phrase that says, I am unashamed of the gospel, you know, really promoting this boldness to understand that we can proclaim the gospel, we can trust in the gospel, and we can tell it to any and everyone, and then it moves on to that it is the power of God. And in the Greek, power, the Greek word is dunamis, and that's where we get the root word dynamite for our language. And so a lot of times people hear that and say, this is the power of God. It's explosive, and it's like a Michael Bay movie. Every time you share the gospel, random explosions just happen. And don't get me wrong. I understand why we use it as a rallying cry. It can help us to feel bold and be emboldened to want to share our faith. But that's not Paul's point here. That's not what Paul is trying to help us to understand. He's not trying to communicate that we can be boldly and uh, share the gospel with people. Paul is leading us into deeper waters of faith in God. That the gospel isn't necessarily just about the message in and of itself, but the gospel is about the God of the gospel. Because of the faithfulness of God, that's why we can be unashamed in our faith. And we see this at the very last sentence in verse 17 where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. 
the righteous shall live by faith. Now, one thing to know, Paul is not just throwing out this random quote. He didn't just make it up. Whenever he quotes the Old Testament, you should perk up and think, okay, where is he going with this? He has a purpose with this. And he is quoting the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And this is coming from chapter 2, verse 4. And in chapter 2, verse 4, throughout the context of Habakkuk, the nation of Judah, the people of God are being invaded by Babylon. And God is using Babylon to punish Judah, to punish God's people. And Habakkuk is looking around and he's like, yo, I know we're messing up, but they are way worse than us. Why are you using them to punish us? And he's looking around, he's asking himself, things aren't going the way I want them to go. And he's continually asking God in verses, or chapters 1 and 2, why is this happening? Why is this going on? This is not how everything is supposed to shake out. And so God, in verses uh, 2, verse 4 in Habakkuk, he kind of helps him to understand. And the first half of it, he says this, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. And so when he says, look, his, he, he's talking about the people of God. He's talking about Judah. And he's helping them to understand that in Judah, in God's people, the people of God should know better. If anybody should know how to live righteously, if anybody should know how to live the right way, it should be God's people. And yet, God's people are not setting an example. They are allowing for injustice to live rampant in the land. They are literally allowing for the rich to get richer, and the poor only exist in order to be oppressed by the rich. Judah wasn't living righteously. In truth, they were living in their own abilities. They were trusting that they themselves did not need God, and God was just kind of a footnote. That God is there if we happen to need him, but we got it from here, God. So God in Habakkuk is helping them to understand that you were no longer living with me in mind. You are no longer living with God's standards in mind. And so I am sending this Babylonian nation to punish you. To help you to understand, you need to return back to me because I've been patient. I've been waiting. I've been hoping that you would come back to me. And now I need to take actions into my own hands. And so they weren't living in light of God's righteous standard. They were hoping in themselves. They were hoping in their own abilities in order to save them from their own sins or be able to say that we can live a good life and we don't need God in order to do it. And so Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4 to help us to understand and to help the Romans at the time to understand that in order for the righteous to live by faith, they have to trust in the faithfulness of God. That this God who delivered the, God's people from Egypt, that this God who continued to raise them up to be a world power, that this God who sent Jesus Christ in an epic way, not in order just to die on the cross for our sins, but to be resurrected from the grave, conquering sin and death. This is a God that we can trust. This is a God that we can believe in because he's proven time and again that he will always come through. And so Paul is saying we can be unashamed. We don't have to be ashamed of our faith because we have a God who is consistently faithful. We can be confident in our faith because God is always going to come through. 
This is all about us having faith in a trustworthy God. That God, even in the midst of everything seeming hopeless, will provide us hope. That when everything seems to be crumbling down around us in this life, God is there to walk through with us in the mess. But I do want to acknowledge that can be hard practically. And Paul, more than anyone, actually would understand. Like, number one, he's writing this letter from jail. I don't think he's living at the Ritz. He's not just chilling and, you know, living up his life. Like, no, he is writing this letter in jail. He understands the struggle. He's been shipwrecked a couple of times, and every time he goes to a town, he gets kicked out because he's sharing the gospel with people, and people become annoyed with that. And so Paul is helping people to understand that even in the midst of all of these things happening in his life, things may not be going quote-unquote, right for him, but his faith in God is still deepened. Why? Because he trusts, he believes in the promises of God. He is consistently reminded that God's promises are real. He is consistently reminded that God will continue to deliver him even when all things seem like it's going wrong. Paul understands the struggle. And it takes a lot for us to continue to remind ourselves of the promises of God. I know for myself, I struggle with that on a consistent basis. That there are times where I feel like because things aren't going right, there are times when I feel like because things aren't going the way that I planned it, that God in for some reason or shape or form is punishing me or God just doesn't love me or God is saying, Julius, you're just not good enough. And so for me, I return to verses like or chapters like Psalm 23 that remind me that God is a shepherd who is walking with us in the midst of our doubts. That God is someone who in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, he is there and he has given me comfort even in the midst of my struggles. And so for us, think of one to two verses, think of one to two chapters in the Bible that help you and remind you that God's promises are still real. That God's promises are still yes and amen, even in the midst of your darkest times. And even for the people who aren't Christians, I will continue to ask, what about God's promises do you not trust in? What about God's promises do you not trust in? I would encourage you to talk to people about that to continue the dialogue and process, what about this God that you are not going to trust in? So as we close, I invite back up the worship team. Romans is a book that has a lot going on as we talked about earlier. But it's consistently and continually pointing us to how powerful God is and what that means for our lives. That the power of God is meant to save, but it's also enabling us to have confidence even in the midst of our doubts, even in the midst of our struggles, that we can be ashamed because God is a faithful God. And so remember that. Trust in that. Walk in the midst of that. I know, I don't know what's going on in your life, but it can be hard to believe that when everything is crumbling around or when people are telling you otherwise that God isn't real, that the promises of God aren't true. 
But I would encourage you to continue to trust. I would encourage you, even as we are going through the book of Romans, to be pointed back to the fact that God is a powerful God who is present in the midst of your struggles, who is present in the midst of your doubts, who is present even when you don't want him to be present. He is there. And because of that, we can be unashamed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the gospel, which truly is the power of God. And that every aspect of the gospel that invades our lives enables us to be new creations who are transformed to do your will and to hold on to the faith in the midst of our our darkest times. And so, Father, I just pray, would you enable us, would you push us into deeper waters of your faith and to know that when it says that the righteous shall live by faith, that's because we have faith in a faithful God. So I just pray that with this sermon series on Romans, enable us to know more of you, to trust in you, and engage with you that much more. I pray this in your most glorious name. Amen. We're going to transition into a time of communion. And this table, these elements really represent what Paul was talking about. The power of God to save. It reminds us of how faithful God truly is that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. So as we come down the middle aisles and exit the outer aisles, this is an opportunity to be reminded of that. To be reminded of the fact that God is an all-powerful God who wants to enter into your life and transform your life for eternity.